Welcome to Karura's weekly podcast. Thank you so much for taking your time to journey with us. We hope your spiritual life will be transformed as you listen in. We start in three, two, one. Praise the Lord. I greet you all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, it is a joy to be able to come together to gather with those who are present here and also with you who is at home, um, gathering as one body that we may worship our God, that we may grow in the ways of our God. During the, this campaign, 40 Days of Community, we're doing two things. We're deepening our own community um, amongst ourselves within the church family and also reaching out in love to the community that is beyond us, those who are around our church family. We're doing this because God says that we are better together. We are supposed to go life, go through life together, never just on our own. And we will serve him better as we walk together. You know, the other day I heard a testimony from, from one of the CLGs that, that had put to practice the things that we had asked, I think a week ago, a week or two ago, um, to invite a friend to join together with them. Um, they sent out nine invites and seven people gave back, you know, said that they would come. Seven out of nine said yes. And it really just goes to show that people want community and they want to be invited. And so I encourage you, you know, that, that, that this is the path in which we can enable other people to come and connect with the family of God and therefore be able to start to meet Jesus, start seeing Jesus in our lives close up. So thank you very much, those of you who are already engaging, inviting others. Invite people into community. Touch other people in love. Make sure that love is lived amongst us and is lived also beyond us. We were created for community. We were formed for a family. And, and the Bible says this in Romans 12 verse 5. That's the top of your outline. I hope you downloaded it. Um, but it's also on the screen. Since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other and each of us needs all the others. Now this, I think you've already heard it already today. This is the, the memory verse for this week, um, for, for, for week three. I know that uh, because you've seen it, maybe some of you have started memorizing it. I hope so. But let's just do it again. Let's do it together. Let's say this together. Those who are here and even at home, you can, you can do this. Just join us. Um, you remember how we do it? We start with the address, say the verse, and then we finish with the address. So let's do it together. Romans 12, 5. Since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other. And each of us needs all the others. Romans 12, 5. I pray that this passage will go deep into our hearts, that it will be fixed in our minds. Because, brothers and sisters, you may not realize it, but you are connected to the people that you are sitting next to. You're connected to the other people who are followers of Jesus Christ. If you are part of the family of God, then you are connected to them and they are connected to you. We are one people. But here's the problem. It's so easy to get disconnected in relationships. Do you agree? You know, during this season, um, uh, you know, we have an extended family that has been very close, that we stick really close to one, to one another. But during this COVID time, I've noticed that we are not as in touch anymore. And it's so easy to get disconnected and not to know what's happening in other people's lives. 
You know, it's very easy to be disconnected from your siblings, from your friends, even from your husband and wife, those people who are married. You know, it's, it's easy to be disconnected from your church, from your, from your small group. And today we're going to look at what causes that. What, why do relationships fall apart? Why do they break and go bad? How many of you are in a small group? Just raise your hand if you're in a small group, even if you're at home. I know I can see the ones who are here. We've got, you know, a pretty big percentage, actually. And those who are at home, um, there are many, many more of you. We have maybe 800 or 900 people in our CLGs. And I want to warn you, you're going to find differences and, and, and in your small group. The only people who agree on everything are dead people. The only people who agree on everything, you know, they're, they're dead. So if you're not getting, if, so if you're getting along with in pure harmony and there's never any disagreement in your group, it means either one, that you're not being honest or two, you're all dead. Yeah? Do you realize that God likes variety? You know, he could, he could have made us all with the same opinions, with the same strengths, with the same background, the same interests, the same personality, but he didn't. God loves variety and he wants us to recognize this. And today we're going to look at how, how relationships get destroyed, what destroys them, and what are the things that build them. And I'm very excited about this because this is something that you can use in all of life. There's so many ways to apply it in your family, in your workplace, in your small group. It, it, it's to be lived in, in all of life. And it's not rocket science. It's not rocket science. It's very simple. Every relational problem comes, to four, comes down to just four negative attitudes. And these are the things that break community, the enemies of community. Number one is selfishness. Selfishness destroys relationships. You know, selfishness is the number one cause of conflict, the number one cause of divorce. You know, where someone says, you know, I want what you've got. And, and, and he starts a conflict. The Bible says, James 4, it says, what causes fights and quarrels? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. It all starts because of self-centeredness. Now, guys, it's easy for, for selfishness to creep into a relationship. Even the best relationships. You know, when you start a relationship, you work really hard to be unselfish, that you can build that relationship. But as time goes on, Sometimes selfishness just seems to creep in. It becomes, it becomes more and more present. I want to read to you from, from the seven stages of a married cold. There's just a brief part from it, um, from Staying Close by Dennis and Barbara Rainey. Um, and this is, this is something, you know, I think it's, it's, it's the husband looking at his, at his wife. And this is, this is what happens in the first year. The first year, oh, baby, darling, I'm, I'm, I'm really worried about that sniffle. So I've called the ambulance to rush you to hospital for a checkup and, and a week of rest. And I know that you don't like hospital food, so I'm, I'm having special meals brought to you. Second year, sweetheart, I don't like the sound of that cough. I've arranged for Dr. Notch to, to make a house call. Let me tuck you in bed. Third year, you look like you've got a fever. Why don't you drive yourself over to the pharmacy and get some medicine? I'll watch the kids. Year four, it's Look, be sensible. You know, after you fed and washed the kids and washed all the dishes, you really ought to go to bed. Year five. 
Ah, come on. You know, do you have to cough so loud? I can't even hear what's going on on the TV. Would you mind going to the other room and, and, and while this show is on? You sound like a barking dog. Yeah? You know, we just stop making the effort. You stop making the effort. It's easy to slide into selfishness. But self-centeredness can't build relationships. Um, let's read together Proverbs chapter 28, verse 25. Proverbs 28, 25. Selfishness only causes trouble. It only causes trouble. If selfishness destroys relationships, then selflessness is what you need to build them. Selflessness builds relationships. Proverbs 2, 4 says, look out for one another's interests, not just for your own. And that's selflessness. Sorry, Philippians 2, 4 that was. That's selflessness. A little less about me, a little more about others. Selflessness is what builds relationships. In fact, if you start acting selfless in a relationship, it forces the other person to change because, because you're not the same person and they have to relate with you differently. You learn to be selfless in the give and take of getting along with people who are different from you, different personalities, different backgrounds, and, and places like our families and small groups. This is really where you can learn and practice selflessness. Since most of you are in small groups, you know, here are some practical ways you can practice selflessness just in your group this week. Um, number one, just show up by showing up. You know, I have to admit that I don't always like to go to, feel like going to small group, but, but I need the other people and the other people need me. You know, we need to be together. And so when I go to small group, it's a selfless act. And guys, be on time. Be on time. You know, when you're late, the other people in the group, they get to practice and learn selflessness. But guess what? You know, most times you're late because we are not thinking about the others in the group and valuing them. No, we are thinking about ourselves and how oh, I need to just do this one more thing. And, and you know, why should I rush? We're being selfish. We're being selfish. Another way is by really listening to the people in your group. Um, do you know that listening is one of the greatest gifts you can ever give to anybody? You know, because you're giving them your time and your attention. And that is your life. You know, you can always get more money, but you only have a certain amount of time in your life. So when you give somebody your attention, you're actually giving them yourselves. You're giving them a part of your life. Look at the next verse. It says Galatians 6, 7, and 8. The Bible says, People harvest only what they plant. If they plant to satisfy their sinful selves, their sinful selves will bring them ruin. But if they plant to please the Spirit, they will receive eternal life from the Spirit. Now this is about the principle of sowing and reaping. And it's, it's a universal um, principle. What you plant, that's what you're going to. You're going to reap. If your focus is yourself, the end of the story is that you'll be alone. If your focus is your selfish desires, you're alone. But it also says that, 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 God, that God wants you to plant good seeds. If you want to plant good seeds, plant to please the Spirit. What does that mean? You know, it means that when, when somebody is offensive to us, it, you know, it's our nature to be offensive back, but the Bible is saying, don't, no, no, don't respond that way. Don't re respond in pettiness. Respond to please God. And when you do that, you're going to be selfless. 
And God's reward for selflessness is, is real. It's right there. He says you'll get eternal life. As, you're, as you plant to please God, you get eternal life. The next verse, it says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. And the message paraphrase puts it really nicely. You know, it says, live freely, animated and motivated by God's Spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. We are compulsively selfish. Every one of us, we think about ourselves first. You know, you think about you more than you think about anybody else. And, and he says the only way you can break that cycle is through God's Spirit inside you. The second big thing that kills relationships is pride. Pride destroys relationships. In Proverbs 13, Ted, it says, you know, pride leads to conflict. Have you experienced that? Is that true? You know, we've seen it in our politics. You know, do you know who I am? And do you know who I am? And, and very quickly, we have a situation that is descending into chaos and conflict. You know, the other day, the counties almost had to stop because of the chest thumping and, and competition about who is it who cares about Kenya the most. You know, when pride rules, things get toxic. And relationships are full of conflict and pretense and bootlegging. You know, do you think that those guys who are buttering you up, the bootlickers, you know, do you think they have a genuine relationship with you? Guys, pride shows up in a lot of different ways, a lot of different ways. If you're critical of other people, if you tend to be judgmental, you tend to be looking down on other people, you have a pride problem. If you're always comparing, you know, oh, look at her dress compared to my dress or, or look at his car compared to my car or you're always comparing your salaries or husbands or children or titles or jobs or houses or anything, you have a pride problem. If you find it difficult to say, I'm sorry, if you can't ever be able to admit that you're wrong, you have a pride problem. And guys, don't say, you know, now if I may have offended you, because that's not an apology. That's, that's, that's what politicians say, you know. If I may have offended you, the, it just is implying that, you know, it's really your fault that you got offended. An apology is, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I was wrong. If you can't do that, then you have a pride problem. The Bible says in Proverbs 16, 18, pride will destroy a person. A proud attitude leads to ruin. Now, pride keeps us from apologizing, which destroys our relationships because, you know, one of the things that is for sure is we hurt each other. You know, how many times has your, has your boss or, or your friend insisted on doing something that, that you know is wrong and they just keep on doing it because they're too proud to admit it and apologize? Now, take a moment and think, you know, whether you have ever done, have ever done that? Of course not. I'm sure you haven't. Yeah? But guys, so what's the antidote? Pride destroys relationships. Humility builds them. Humility builds relationships. Listen to these five, five things that build relationships in 1 Peter 3, 8. The Bible says, live in harmony be sympathetic, love each other, have compassion, and be humble. And these, these five things are all really built on the fifth one. 
you know, the ability to be humble. You know, these are things that we all would like to see in our relationships, isn't it? In our families, our groups, all our relationships to live in harmony, to be sympathetic, to love each other, to be compassionate and to be humble, giving space to one another. And I want you to notice the first one particularly, you know, to live in harmony. Harmony and humility go together. In an orchestra or in a band, you know, the, the beauty of it is you know, all the different instruments coming together. But if you have one player who wants to stand on a chair and, and you know, play louder than everybody else, they ruin the whole thing. You know, even if, even if they get all the notes right. If you have one person who is saying, notice me, notice me, it ruins all the joy and the harmony of life, the deepness and the richness that God wants to give to our lives and our relationships is lost. So how are you and I going to grow in humility, because it's, it's tough to be genuinely humble, especially in the areas where you feel perhaps you're stronger or more successful. The Bible says in Ephesians 4 verse 23, you know, instead let the Holy Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. In verse 22, he just said, you know, you've got to put off your old self. You've got to make that decision. It's a change that, that's from the depths of who you are. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to renew our thoughts and attitudes. We need God's help. You know, if you want to have more humility, spend time with Jesus. Spend more time with Jesus because he is humble. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to walk together with you and I that we would spend time with him in prayer and reading the word and, and just talking to him. He is humble and he said himself, you know, we will learn from him. We will learn from him. Look at Philippians 2, 3 and then verses 5 and 6. It says, be humble thinking of others as better than yourselves, then you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. You know, no one has ever done anything more humble than Jesus. Coming from heaven to come to this earth, to be a man, to live among us, to live for us, to even die for us. We've just celebrated that. And, and honestly, if I spend time with him, it enables me to become more humble. And that builds relationships, if I'm more humble. The third struggle we all face is the struggle of insecurity. Insecurity destroys relationships. Proverbs 29 verse 25, it says, Fearing people is a dangerous trap. The message paraphrase puts it this way, The fear of human opinion disables. You know, when I'm so insecure that all I think about is your opinion about me and what you think of me, that disables my life. You know, it's an amazing dilemma that we have as, as, as human beings. You know, we long to be close, but we also fear being close. You know, we, we long to have intimacy with others, but we are also so scared of having intimacy with others. So please write this down. Write this down. Insecurity prevents intimacy. Insecurity prevents intimacy. You can't get close to somebody if there is fear in the relationship. Which is why living, um, living together mostly doesn't work in the long run. You know those Jotukaya relationships? It doesn't work because you never know when someone's going to walk out. There's no lifetime commitment. So, so I'm going to hold back because what if it doesn't work? What do we fear in relationships? I think there are two things, two things. First, we fear exposure. 
We fear that someone is going to find out what we are really like. And so we hide ourselves. And guys, this, goes, this fear goes all the way back to the beginning, to Adam, the first man. Genesis verse three, I mean chapter 3, verse 10. He says, I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. When we are afraid, we hide ourselves. We cover up. We pretend that we are people that we really aren't. And, and as a result, nobody ever gets to really know you. We, we pretend and, 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 and somehow because of that, we can't be close to anybody and we never experience that deep soul-to-soul intimacy that we all need, that God designed for you to have. We want it, but we are afraid of exposure. There's another really deep fear, the fear of rejection. And this may be the greatest fear in human beings. I mean, we were made for for community and being rejected is almost like a threat to our being. We've all been rejected at some point and and we know how much that hurts. And so we fear it and we close ourselves off and we say, I'll never let anybody else, you know, hurt me ever again. Now, maybe you've been hurt by rejection by somebody, maybe an ex Um, a parent or somebody who said you're not good enough or maybe you felt it in church or in a small group if so I want to say to you I'm sorry I'm sorry I really am sorry And, and I know that God grieved at your rejection in fact if anybody understands rejection it's Jesus Christ the Bible says that he was despised and rejected Please remember that they nailed him to a cross and that's the ultimate rejection. So he understands how you feel. But as your pastor, I want to beg you, please, please don't let it harden your heart. You know, don't build up walls. You know, that self-imposed prison that sometimes we we build is something that you don't want to be in. And and, and I I, I want you to, to allow somebody else to get close because when you don't ever do that, when you say, I'll never let anybody hurt me again, you're making a terrible mistake. It just draws the life out of you. And so I encourage you, take the risk. Take the risk. Take the step of courage to, to risk love again because it will open up your life. It'll open your life and look, you know, and, and just bring a complete new life into your life, into you, into your world. You know, break down those barriers and, and, and invite people in, into them. Ask God for the courage. Ask God for the strength to take that risk to be open and to be vulnerable. Insecurity destroys, destroys relationships. What is it that builds them? I think this one here is, is obvious. You know, it's love. Love builds relationships. The Bible says in 1 John four eighteen, love has no fear. Because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it shows that his love has not been perfected in us. How does that work? How does love expel fear? Love takes the focus off you and it puts the focus on them. And that's how it makes a difference. You know, if I was standing here just thinking that, you know, you know, you know, worried about how you thought of me and, and you know, how you're going to take what I'm going to say or, or how I look... You know, I'd have something to be afraid of, isn't it? But the minute I start thinking about how I love you and how I want you to to understand God's will and purposes and to grow and be transformed by him, the fear just goes. And in any relationship, if, you know, when I'm focusing on the other person, it has the power to throw fear out of your life. 
And how do we find the, the power to get the focus, to shift the focus to other people? It's by realizing how much God loves us. The moment you begin to realize how much God loves you, then you don't have to prove yourself to anybody else. I don't, I don't have to spend my life trying to impress people because I already know that God loves me. Do you know how freeing that is? That, you know, life can just become so enjoyable because, you know, all of a sudden my identity, my joy, my self-worth, they're not caught up in, in what you might think of me that day. You might just be having a bad day. But my identity and my self-worth are caught up in my relationship with Jesus Christ. So I'm okay. I might be disappointed, but I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, all of us, I think, would like, like to live with such confidence. Where do you get it? The Bible tells us. 1 John 4, 15, and 17, 15 to 17. It says, all who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. God is love. Let's read this part together, this last part together. And as we live in God, our love grows more and more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment. You know, rejection is a form of judgment. But because of Jesus, God the creator himself will never, never reject you. So you can face anything. You know, when you, are, when you are secure in the Creator's love, you can face anything. You know, after all, if the Lord is for you, who can stand against you? Who is it that can accuse you? You know, do they have the status that, that God has? Not anywhere close. Not anything close to that. And by the way, please notice the word there grows. It grows more and more. This is a lifelong process. If I try to have this confidence all at once, then I'm just going to have to fake it. Um, this is not something that, you know, I can clear overnight. Insecurity doesn't go away overnight. But you can take the first step right now. You can make that choice. And that is beginning your relationship with Jesus Christ or, you know, or strengthening it. If you've already got a relationship, strengthening your relationship with Christ. When you say yes to Christ, you are saying yes to a kind of love that can throw you out of all fear. Draw and, and eliminate fear from your life. The fourth enemy of community is resentment. Resentment destroys relationships. Job 5.2 To worry yourself to death To worry yourself to death with resentment is a foolish, senseless thing to do. You know, we all make mistakes. We all sin. I sin. You sin. You know, we are all sinners. So because we are imperfect... You're going to hurt other people and other people are going to hurt you. You know, this, this life, this is going to happen unintentionally, intentionally. You're going to be hurt and that's a fact. What's important is what are you going to do with that hurt? Are you going to allow it to make you better? Or are you going to allow it to make you bitter and resentful? You know, now often it's not the big things that, that really make us resentful. Obviously they can and they do, but very many times, it's, it's a lot of these little things that just pile up. We get irritated. And, and when we hold on to something, then these irritations turn into resentment. And when you get resentful, you stop thinking clearly. Your, pers your perspective gets clouded. You don't think rationally when your emotions are involved. And guys, resentment doesn't work. It never hurts the other person. It only hurts you. Only you. 
they have no idea. You know, your stomach is tied up in knots and, and, and they, they're not even aware of it. And then you might do something really stupid, you know, just to make them notice. Look at what the Bible says in Psalm 73. When my thoughts were bitter, and that means resentful, and my feelings were hurt, I was as stupid as an animal. In other words, I didn't think straight. Now, one of the purposes of the small group is to help you think straight when you've been hurt. You know, because when you get hurt, you need other people around you, people who um, you can trust, people who are going to be unemotional and able to help you to deal with this thing rationally. Because you're going to be hurt in life. And, and when you get bitter and, and you don't think straight, you need people who can support you and help you and correct the way you're thinking so stop, they stop you from doing something stupid. You know, this is what the Bible says. The next verse, it says, look after each other. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. So when somebody is hurting in a group, you gather around them and you help them to deal with this thing um, rationally and to, and to prevent them from getting bitter. And do you notice that there it says, you know, you get bitter. It's not just you that gets affected. It corrupts many so don't allow bitterness to spread among you. You've got to deal with it. You know, God says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger. Get rid of it. So what's the antidote? The antidote to resentment is forgiveness. Forgiveness builds relationships. Just like resentment tears it down. Colossians 3 verse 13. The Bible says, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive everyone else. For you must forgive others. That's what we must do. You must. You know, we pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. What are you saying? You know, God, I want you to forgive me as much as I forgive everybody else. Whoa. You know, do I really, really want that? You know, we forgive because we need God to forgive us. You might say, I can't do it. You know, I can't, I just can't forgive that person what they did to me. And that's why you need Jesus Christ. You need Jesus Christ because sometimes you can't do it on your own. Human love runs out. You need God's supernatural love in you. Look at the next verse, Titus chapter 3. It says, once our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But Christ saved us. Not because of the righteousness, uh, righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. You need to experience God in your life. You'll never be able to let go until you get God's love in you every day, every moment of your life. Now, let me explain what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not making excuses. So, you know, for that person who hurt you, they hurt you. And it was real. You know, forgiveness is not justifying it. Saying it really wasn't that bad. It was a big deal. You know, forgiveness is not saying it wasn't wrong. It was wrong. So what is forgiveness? Forgiveness is letting go of my right to get even. It's saying you did that to me, but I'm going to let it go and relate with you all over again. Reconnect with you. You know, some of you are, are, are really al still allowing people from your past to hurt you now, in the present. And, and that's foolish. Guys, the past is the past. 
and, and every time you hold on to that grudge, you are perpetuating your own pain. You're hurting yourself. And God is telling you, you have to let it go. You know, forgiveness is the only way to get on with your life. Do they deserve it? No. Do you deserve to be forgiven by God? No. But God did it anyway, out of his grace and his kindness. You see, resentment turns you into a desert. It turns your heart into a desert. It dries you up emotionally. And you don't have anything to give to anybody else. You know, your boyfriend, your husband, your girlfriend, your wife, your parents, your children. You know, you don't have anything to give because, because you're so stuck in the past that you can't get on with the future and connect with the future. And it turns you into a desert and you're dried up. But God brought you this message today because he's got some good news for you. Just look at the next passage. Here's what God is saying to you. He's saying, forget what happened in the past and do not dwell on the events from long ago. I am going to do something new. I will make rivers on dry land. Now you may have had some relational disasters in the past. Welcome to the human race. Everybody has relational disasters. Everybody. So what are you going to do with them? God wants to start something totally new in your life. If you're in that place, God wants to start something new right now in the middle of 40 days of community. And it starts with opening your life to Jesus Christ and, and letting him fill you with his love on a moment-by-moment basis. Please just bow our heads. Let's, let's just bow our heads and, 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 and turn to God. You know, as we close, I want to ask you four very personal questions. First, who do you need to be more unselfish with? Who have you been critical or judgmental of? Have you been unwilling to admit, I was wrong? I'm sorry, please forgive me. Have you been afraid of being real with other people? And maybe you've denied your emotions and, and you've hidden your emotional nakedness. Is there anybody in your life that you can share your secret with? You can open up to? Ask yourself, who do you need to forgive you know all the all four of the antidotes to resentment and insecurity and selfishness and pride are found in our relationship with Jesus Christ all of them you get that relationship right and all the other ones will fall into place you need to allow Jesus Christ to be the Lord the manager of your life let him fill you with his love and 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 change you as you relate with other people so just please pray this prayer in your heart. Dear Jesus, you've seen every relationship I've ever had. And you know how selfishness and pride and insecurity and resentment messes them up. I admit I need your help in my life and in my relationships. So as much as I understand, I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life and live in me and pour your love through me. Lead me in this way of love. I want that fresh start that you offer. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you so much.